fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We do that. This group does that with a brain trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. And of course, with me is always Dr. Michael Denon. Hey, great to be here, Dan. So excited for this episode. I'm excited, too. This is this is great because I feel like we're really going to get into some territory where you're going to excel. And speaking of excelling and excellence, we have our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser, with us, as always, broadcasting from an undisclosed location. Ben, how are you doing and are you safe? I'm just absolutely buzzing around about this episode. Well, that's <laughs> that's really great because this is going to be fun. We are starting a whole new series here. We are going to do we're doing a little retro sci-fi movie summer blockbuster thing that we're going to do. Uh, <laughs> we haven't gotten quite gotten the name down yet, but I love this. this is great. We're going to talk about some some classic science fiction sh- some movies. And we're going to start it off with The Fly. This is my choice. We each picked one individually and then picked one as a group. So this week is The Fly. First one we're going to do, not because I'm the analytical mastermind, um, but kind of because I get to choose the order. But I'm very excited about The Fly because not only are there two versions of this. There's a 1958 version and a 1986 version. But because... Both of them are extremely iconic, and they have lots of technology in it. So I'm assuming you guys watched the show. Let I want to hear your impressions first. Let's go to Denon first. What were your first impressions when you watched these movies? Well, I think I had my normal impression about um, what I would call the gross factor. Okay. Um, as we've discussed, I like suspense. I'm not so much into horror. You are right, though. There's cool technology. I'm excited to talk about that, but I'm still trying to, particularly the 86 version, trying to block out some of the scenes I watched. But I made it through for the show, for the fans, for the people. And I've always appreciated your commitment to excellence, Dr. Denon. So (laughs) I know you really put yourself through it for this one. Ben, what did you think when you saw these movies? What was your first impression? Were you as grossed out? I was very grossed out. I... Like Denon, I, I'm not. Man. I'm not for. I'm not so much into the body horror, and that that the more modern fly. You know, once once Jeff Goldblum starts being stops being pretty, you know, it's it can be tough to watch. But I did love the technology. <laughs> no, the technology is great. Now, what about? So I, I love the 1958 version. Like to me, this has a very you know almost as iconic as some Twilight Zone episodes as far as the sci-fi genre goes. Yeah. You know, I love the fact that, you know, he's, I mean, the ending, the last scene, not this, this spoiler alert here, but the last scene is great where you've got this fly with this human head and human arm trapped in a spider web. You know, forget the special effects. They're awful because it's 1958, but that is such an iconic scene. So iconic that The Simpsons did a nice little thing about it. Uh, I, I don't know. I really like this one. This was kind of my favorite and it's got Vincent Price. Well, what I like about it is there's an advantage to having weaker special effects the gross factor just never quite gets to the same level in my mind. Right. Well, he is wearing a sheet over his head. Yeah. So that does make it, you know, a little better. Yeah. A lot better, actually. I should I should be honest. 
Right. Well, you know, it's well, here's what's great about it is that the two movies are so they couldn't be more different. And yet they both contribute to the sci fi genre. The first one, the 1958 version, it's structured like a murder mystery. You don't the fly yeah. thing is a surprise. You know, it's not really it's called the fly, but we don't know why it's called the fly. For the, most of the movie, the main female character is chasing after a fly. We don't know why. Um that rhymed in a weird way, but <laughs> you know, that, I kind of like that, you know, that different take on it because the second one, the 1986 version really has, you know, that's got a lot of the kind of the more modern technology. Cause in the first 1958 version, it's really, they have this idea. It's that this Willy Wonka, Mike TV version of we can transport stuff like a television does where we break it down into little bits and trans you know, transfer it through the air right. into another pod, which is a little ridiculous, but that was a brand new technology at the time, right? So their transporter was very different than the 86 version. Well, it, it is interesting because you, you do see this neat feature of science fiction of the combination between building on what you already know as technology um, and then trying to project it forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an interesting theme in both of these. And so like you said, the first one, they're sort of projecting television to the next level. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in the 86 version, it, it's kind of heavily dependent on what a computer can do. It's a, it's really interesting the role, from my perspective, that the computer plays. Because, again, I think a lot of it actually was based on misconceptions around what computers could do in weird ways. Hmm. Um, and some funny predictions. I just love the way they they talk to the computer and yet the screen was still only in green and black. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> or Mac of Apple IIe kind of... Uh... Well, it's it's great because the 1986 version has a lot... We're, we can really get into that because the technology there at least translates, or at least we can... There's a little more substance to it, you know? The, Seth Brundle is trying to transport basically one item from... one. I mean, it starts out with one side of his room to the other, right? So it's just a yes, short right. distance... And he's, you know, what I love about the movie is how they kind of do this little fake swerve where, you know, Gina Davis, who's a reporter doing, I mean, it's a totally different structure than the murder mystery of 58. It's totally oh, yeah. different. But how Gina Davis is, you know, she's doing a report, trying to like basically document him like he's some kind of exotic animal, you know? And <laughs> yeah. so he's got these two things in his room and they, and her boss says, hey, these might, what if it's a magic trick? And in some ways, what I love about that is it does work like a magic trick. You know, one of my favorite magicians is a guy named Michael Carbonaro, who I interviewed on Fascinating Nouns, by the way. Uh, what I love about him is he takes magic and treats it like he sets up his pranks like there's a technology that doesn't exist and he makes it look like it exists through magic. You know, like he did right. a Back to the Future hydrator. You know, you put in a small pizza and you get a big pizza. You know, if you don't know nice. it's magic, you think it's technology. They're great. They're a lot of fun. But you could really, I could totally see that as being an option here. And I was struggling to figure out, like, how you could do that from a magic standpoint. But I, I love that swerve in this. I don't know if you got, maybe I'm just, this is one of those weird yeah. things, like, sure, it's I mean, the reality is this is just the prestige. Oh, is that? <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen that. Yeah, is that? Okay. No, it's a movie like that. But, you know, when you think about it, Dan, it is true that he never teleports farther than his own room. And no reason there's not, it's a strange, funky place. Mm-hmm. You can easily have a trap door under the one. Yeah. And then another trap door for the second one. You know, the nice thing about it is it does explain the smoke. 
Right. Um, that was the hardest technology part and physics for me to really come up with. Yeah. You know, we've talked about a lot of teleporting and matter transporters and other methods on these shows before. What was fascinating to me about this was the pieces that were just irrelevant. I felt the smoke was a big one. But if you're thinking about it as an illusion, that is a standard illusionist tool. <laughs> right. Um, right. Is the smoke to distract you. So um, I, I really kind of was like, hmm. There's smoke. This could be it. Something to that. I mean, turning yourself into a fly is also like the ultimate magic trick, I think. I don't know if you yes. can quite yeah. figure that one out. But I love that as a theme because it was so believable as like a swerve, you know? I mean, obviously we know the, yeah. how it's going to go. Uh, but so let's take this. So let's let's assume this is real for a second. And there's cables connecting each thing. Now, the mm -hmm. way I understand it, unlike the 58 version where they use the television as like the technology behind it, basically they're dis disintegrating an object yep. And then reintegrating it in the other pod and basically transferring. I don't know if they're transferring it through the cables. I assume that that's how it's getting transferred. Um, this is very Dr. Manhattan-ish, I believe. They're basically breaking things down to the molecular yeah. level and bringing it to the other side. This is something we did a whole episode of Matter Transporters, but we didn't talk about this particular version of it. This seems very difficult. Yeah, so it's it's interesting that it kind it does make it seem like both the information and the material are going down the down the cables. Let's not call them wires because there's obviously more than wires going on there. Which begs the question of if this were like a worldwide transportation system, how do you get the materials across <laughs> quickly? I mean, that can be solved if you just have a nice tank of you know organic molecules that you can build anything out of. And then all you do have to send is the information. And when you disintegrate someone in Miami and then at to and they're going to New York and then someone in New York is going to Miami they just trade molecules and oh that's weird man you know bada bing you're done that's weird so you could have the molecules of one person inside of you you know kind of like we're all stardust you know yeah. like we're we're all human dust that we yeah. just rebuild and our bodies recycle the the carbon and the oxygen that's in us pretty frequently so like we're not we're not really who we are. In some ways, we're not who we are. In some, in other ways, we are because, like, you know, parts of our bodies don't get renewed very often, like our neurons or our um, or our bones or things like that. But like our blood cells die and regrow all the time, and the dead blood cells just they're gone. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think if you're thinking about something like this, I I, I like the the trouble with all of these is where do you get the matter at the other end? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there's obviously a lot of trouble with a teleporter, but right. <laughs> one of the big problems is is getting the matter at the other end. And, and the reality is, uh, you know, a fundamental premise of physics is that any two electrons, protons, or neutrons are indistinguishable, right? And they're the building blocks of everything. So if you really are imagining that this is breaking you down to your fundamental building blocks, maybe it's just the level of individual hydrogen atoms ultimately, like everything gets broken down to a single proton and an electron or helium so that you have some neutrons around, then it makes perfect sense to just store that matter in one pod. And it starts to explain maybe some of the odd shapes and the coils. Like I was looking at these and, and there's these weird coils around them. And, and so maybe what's happening is the material, he, there's a reservoir at each place that you just kind of add to and take from. So you don't worry about which atoms are making the thing because the core of this one 
he, he makes a reference when he's talking about, you know, um, particularly, I think, the, the steak and, and then the, um, is it a baboon or a monkey? or, it's a, or it's a baboon. I, I, for sure. Baboon. Baboon. I thought it was, but, you know, I, well, I'm, I'm bad on my primates. I'm a physicist, not a biologist. Oh, those are baboons, Denon. Those are for sure baboons. And anyway, you know, he talks about the computer trying to, having trouble actually getting it right in spirit or in essence or something. Mm, yeah. So, So this one, what's interesting about it, is it does imply that there's a huge computational element. Yeah. That, that, that you're basically recording what the thing is and then relying on the computer to recreate it um, correctly. Um, and that's an interesting feature because, well, when I think about it, and, and actually I, I had actually seen this, I have to be honest, and read it somewhere, it's kind of ironic that it picks on a fly as causing the problem. Because he's in this big chamber, very much not in a clean room. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. There is there is so much organic gunk <laughs> in that chamber with him. Right. Um, you know, it would be interesting to see why why it has to why it's something at the level of a fly that the computer yeah. screws up. You would think it's the smaller stuff that would be harder to keep track of, and not the fly. So there's some interesting things when you throw the computer as the key moment. Right. Yeah. How how the computer doesn't scramble like your bacterial microbiome DNA with your your own DNA is a fascinating subject. Yeah. <laughs> Which you know just connects to so many episodes we've done. Right. See episode um on uh, you know your biome. <laughs> there's more bacterial cells in you than human cells. So. Yeah. Well, not to mention there's all this stuff on your face as well. Like, forget the oh, stuff yeah. inside, but you've got all kinds of, like, critters on your face eating the dead skin cells and you got worms and stuff, yeah. like these microscopic worms and insects. Although I will say, if it's going all the way down to, like, hydrogens, heliums, and electrons, then that kind of does explain the smoke. Because you get a lot of heat by uh, making those larger molecules again. That could I be. I was wondering that about that. If there was some kind of, like, if it was some kind of off, you know... What do they call that? Off-gassing from connecting in her ozone yeah. or yeah. what do I know? No, Dan, I like that actually. You're you're the analytical mastermind. You've just analyzed it. <laughs> I, I, I think I think you've I think you've solved the spoke. I, I did. Well, and I love so the analysis part of that, what I love is when the computer, you know, there's a little bit of AI voice recognition stuff here too, which is kind of interesting. And there's they do like a whole chemical analysis when things go yeah. into the into the pod, which I like that. And it really breaks it down into its fundamental you know, atoms. It does an ATP count as well, which I think is kind of interesting. Oh, it's funny yeah. the things it throws in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very weird. But but yeah, you know, to the to speak to the fly, I don't know if there is some form. I mean, I don't know if there's like a chromosome, you know, threshold where it has to be sufficiently advanced not to, to, you know, to really affect or to combine where the computer, it's then triggered that like, oh, this is more advanced. We must combine it instead of, you know, very small unicellular um, organisms. Yeah, no, it's it's an it's an interesting problem. I mean, what's what's the other fascinating thing about it is the way they portray it in this. It really is more an object reconstruction mm -hmm. than a teleportation. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is why I like how they go down the route of referring to gene splicing, and he kind of moves in that direction, and it does help explain you know, why organic matter might be a little bit harder simply because its structure is more complex, right? If you're just actually, if you were ever to figure out a way to teleport matter, there, there's really, 
it's hard to argue from the physics side that organic matter would be any harder than inorganic matter because it's all just matter. Um, as I've said many times on this show, you know, the difference between natural and man-made is an illusion. They're all just chemicals. Mm -hmm. um, right. And, and you really have that basis. But if what you're trying to do is instead of just transporting the matter from one place to another, if you're somehow trying to reconstruct the, the, the structure that you have to create a model of it first and then have that model be accurate, it is certainly much easier, say, to model a simple crystalline structure because all you need to know is uh, what the atom is and how often it repeats. That's very little information to keep track of. If you're trying to then make something more amorphous, that's harder. And then if you're trying to do something more complex, it's not that it's organic, I would argue. It's that we're complex structurally, and you're trying to recreate that structure. So it, it helps. This mode helps explain the struggle a little bit, from in my mind. Well, isn't... But, I mean, I guess that... I mean, the organic nature of it is the complexity, right? I mean, I guess that's... it's They're kind of one and the same thing. You're, you're, I mean, we're kind of saying well, the yeah. same thing, but organic... Organic material is, by its nature, more complex than simple. Well, you, you, all I'm saying is there's a lot of stuff that's also not alive that structurally is equally complex. I see. Because it's not the movement, right? You're, you're just translating the object at one point in time. So you're not worried about the fact that it can move and breathe and live and all of that. You're, you're literally trying to reconstruct the spatial structure. Um, and in that sense, there's plenty of you know, very complex, inorganic things. They just don't move. What's actually funny is in the movie, he says, I can't teleport inanimate objects. But what I think he means is inorganic because otherwise everything we're yeah. saying wouldn't make any sense at all. <laughs> well, also, he, he the first things he teleports are inanimate. So. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, he says he can only ta transport inanimate objects. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But not yeah, yeah. but the inanimate inorganic yeah. is what I, that like struck me as a nerd. Yeah, like, it, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think he would... You know, the first thing he we really see him teleport is the nylon. And nylon's actually kind of complicated. <laughs> like, it's a long-chain polymer. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I could actually see that being fairly difficult. Whereas if she'd, like, given him, like, an earring or something, that would have been a lot simpler. Well, well, the other funny thing is, it, it's a... Cla I, I mean, I remember it because of the gross factor. It's a fascinating classic science fiction thing that when you mess up teleporting a living thing it ends up inside out i'm not <laughs> sure why <laughs> like yeah and it can still make noises like it, it's sort of alive yeah was it inside out or more just half of it was missing though <laughs> i don't know it, it, it looked inside out to me i, I, I saw out. a lot of inside that's all i'm yeah. saying <laughs> i just i just don't think i saw the outside in <laughs> Yeah, that. <laughs> I guess so. Well, here's what here's what annoyed me. You know, I'm an animal lover. We've talked about this on the show. Why didn't they send the steak first? He sends a baboon twice and then sends steak. What? The hubris of genius. I, I, I that that I guess so. I was very annoyed with that. I'm That's, not gonna lie to you. Yeah. And why a baboon? Why not start with a mouse <laughs> or or a cockroach? Right. Yeah. I, and I'm not I'm not sure he had animal clearance for his research. Yeah. Studies. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he uh, cleared that with the ethics council. <laughs> no. It's also weird. We he supposedly has these two baboons as pets, but the only time you see them is when they're going into the chamber. They don't really exist at any other time. I think there's one of the. No. Times. I know. Yeah. It's, it's really very, funny. very very silly. And in the 1958 version, they make a point to say we don't use animals. Although he sends the cat, and instead of the cat reappearing. There's just a voice around him, which is uh, a very weird way to teleport. So let's talk about him as the fly, right? It's He's called the fly. We're going to get to the gene splicing stuff in a second, but I want to talk about him as a fly because I found this to be really interesting. Because let's just say, let's just, you know, 
for argument's sake, he gets transported, and for some reason the computer goofs it up, and when they're rebuilding all of this stuff, they put the fly DNA, and somehow the chromosomes are connected, and they, you know, that works out this way, whatever. What What is interesting is he suddenly, you know, in, it's kind of like a superhero tale gone wrong, because he gets the powers of an insect, but then becomes like kind of the bad guy. But here's some of the cool things that he gets. He basically... As soon as he comes out, he starts doing like flips on a balance bar, which I thought was ridiculous. Yeah. But it turns out that it's not a fly's strength. They're not like ants who have incredible like 50 times their strength, but it's the agility. And there's this great, uh, you know, so that he's, you see him with increased dexterity, increased agility. In 1910, there was this great uh, British documentary that's like at the beginning of documentaries called The Acrobatic Fly. And basically, they glued a fly to a matchstick. You guys follow with me on this? <laughs> and so he's <laughs> upside down and his legs are crawling and they basically demonstrate him juggling stuff, juggling like pieces of wood, juggling another fly. Uh, they actually do have some incredible dexterity. So this kind of holds up, although I don't understand how that would be integrated into his muscles so quickly. Hmm. Well, what, what's interesting to me, what I really liked is once you forget the teleporting part and say, okay, as a gene splicing experiment, um, how would the genes slowly um, reveal themselves, right? Genes have to express, yeah. you know, and it is interesting. I forget what the percentage is, but, you know, we have a shockingly amount in common already with flies. You know, the, the amounts that distinguish insects from then reptiles, from fish, birds, and humans, you know, get smaller and smaller as you get closer and closer. But there's shockingly large number of genes in common just to get the basic structures. So... And also, in most cells in your body, your genes have already been suppressed in various ways to make that cell so specialized, right? Most of the genes don't express. And that's why your skin is not a heart and so on, right? Like, things get specialized. But So if you were to replace these genes, I presume what the movie portrays is accurate, that it would take, in the following sense, that it would take time for the genes to express themselves. Okay. Okay. Right? Yeah, and yeah. And... Again, having no idea what the right order and time scale is, I can't tell you. Was the process correct? And would agility be first and ugly skin tone later? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like and no skin tone you know, finally. No skin finally. Finally, right. It, 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 you know, it's sort of unclear about that and what the time scale would be. But it is fascinating to see that they at least kind of, I think, at a very, very high meta level, got the general sense right. That it takes time and not all genes would express at the same rate. Yeah. It, it's weird. I kind of saw it more as like a pupation thing where like it turned some part of him inside became like a fly larva and it grew up inside of his body and was like kind of stealing the nutrients from his exterior shell, which is why his like exterior of his body started falling apart. Whoa. Whoa, that that. Is, that'll keep you up at night. I, was, yeah, that, I, I'm not sleeping tonight. <laughs> that, is, me that is creepy beyond creepy. Yeah. That, that is. But that's kind of how I pictured it is that, like, you know, maybe his brain and a few other things kind of became the core of the new being kind of living inside of him. Good Lord. Oh, okay. Hey, I like it. It's very possible. Yeah. You know, we don't know. Here's one thing that's kind of interesting. So we're going to talk about, a, I mean, we're going to go from one controversial topic, which is Ben's sanity, to another controversial topic, <laughs> which is, you know, he grows. One of the really first kind of indications that something's wrong are these weird hairs that grow out of him. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So have you guys heard of Morgellons disease? No. I have not, Dan. You surprised us once again. <laughs> so this is, some people listening are probably going to say this is a controversial topic, and that's okay. I, I'm not saying, people People are really, there's, there's a school of thought on whether this is a real disease or a psychosomatic disease. But there is, so, you know, up to a decade ago, people really thought it was psychosomatic. But up until recently, and I, I pulled this off the National Institute of Health, so this is, you know, pretty up to date with, with as far as what the nation's database of, of infections are. But this is a very, very strange disease. And essentially, these weird black, sometimes blue, sometimes, you know, I think red hairs will grow out of a body. These fibrous hairs will grow out of a person's body that are seemingly without source. What they found out is that there may be an infectious agent very similar to Lyme disease that may actually be causing the generation of these um, hair follicles. It is a fascinating read. I'll put some links up. People can decide for themselves. But, you know, there, there's this belief that there's like bugs crawling under the skin. So that's where like the psychosis, you know, it, there, there's a very thin line, two very strong schools of thought on each one. But I've heard some pretty compelling evidence that this may be a real thing. And it goes in line with what's happening to him throughout the movie. Yeah. No, that's an interesting way to look at it. And and I do want to just make one other connection on this before we move into maybe more on the gene splicing. What I do like about the two movies, to briefly mention the old one, is the way it goes wrong in both cases I find consistent with the technology. So if, if, if we think of gene splicing, it should go wrong as genes express themselves. And that's what we have. Right. Right. Um, yeah, and in yeah, the original yeah. movie, if I think about TVs, if you think about TVs or line scanned machines, right, where you, you recreate the thing by scanning lines back and forth, certainly the old TVs, right? Mm-hmm. And so you, as you recreate the person, you're doing a line scan. And, and that's where I think the mistakes come in. If, if, you're, you know, if your image is a fly head, when you're scanning where the person head should be, you end up with a fly head. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's and, right. and you're not going to change after that. It's not like you've changed your genetic material. You've just scanned the wrong thing in the wrong place. So I like that mm. the mistakes align with the technology. I, I I love that too. I think that that's great. It's also great, you know, storytelling as well. It would be weird if that didn't in line with the technology, and then no one would. It wouldn't be one of those right. things that's like, wow, this is crazy. One thing before we're going to move on to gene splicing. One thing I want to mention. This is important. I forgot this about Morgellons disease. Is that um. There, it's, it's related to a, a spiroketal infection, the Lyme disease thing. The infection agent, infectious agent causes an overproduction of keratin and collagen, and therefore the filaments, which is similar to this gene expression. It's creating this overproduction of things um, that it's you know been told to do through gene expression as a fly, which I just found that to be really interesting. I just love that connection a lot. All right, let's talk about gene splicing. This is really what it is, right? I mean, Denon, you said it earlier. Really what he's created is a gene splicer, and, you know, my question, I guess, was really, you, you said earlier, Denon, that there was a lot of very similar, a lot of similarities between flies and humans. Uh, I guess when I think of similar, I think of chimpanzees. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 97% oh, kind of guy. Uh, right. That, that's way higher. <laughs> right. um, your threshold might be a little bit lower. But what I thought was interesting about our DNA is we have lots of these weird little junk segments in our DNA. I feel like if a less evolved species was spliced with ours... I don't know that we would that it, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know that the expression would be a fly. I don't even know that our DNA would even read those things at all, but I could be misunderstanding that. You know, I think it really comes down to a lot 
um, you know, which cell does it end up in and how is it expressed or not? Because basically the DNA then makes RNA that then makes protein, right? That, that's the sort of very simplified version of it. And the question would be, um, you know, does the extra protein you make actually get incorporated anywhere and do anything useful? Um, and, you know, is, is it become an enzyme that actually generates, you know, acidic saliva, mm. you know, just to have a cool thing yeah. that, you know, might be fun to get. I don't know, except it might melt your mouth. So that, that would explain the ugly, you know, melting of the outer superstructure, you know. Melt your mouth and somebody's hand. See what I did there? Yeah. Do, do your skin cells suddenly express a gene that makes, you know, um, basically everything a fingernail instead of skin, and now you have a hard exoskeleton, right? Right, okay. Um, I see. So it is an interesting question, Dan. So a lot of it would probably just end up being like junk DNA and not actually expressed and ever read by the RNA, and so it never makes a protein. So it, it is kind of, but it, it, it is a cool classic way to think about things. And there are, scarily enough, people using gene splicing now to actually splice some interesting things into their own body in places and countries where they can get away with it. <laughs> Biohacking yeah. is a very interesting subset of, of humanity that we, <laughs> we, yeah. we can get into. Yeah. We don't need to go down that dark black no, hole no, here. Not, yeah, we will at some point, but not here. Uh, so let me ask you guys this question. Do you know what a naturally occurring gene splicer? Can you give, give me an example of a naturally occurring gene splicer? Yes. All right, Ben. Uh, I'll let Ben go because he's the engineer. There's uh, bacterial rings that, that can inject genes into plants. That's how plants can get diseases. But also viruses. Viruses are gene splicers. Oh, I guess they are. That, yeah, because they basically inject into your cell and then splice their DNA in. And, and then reproduce that. Not way. what I was thinking, yeah. but uh, those are great examples. There's a lot of them, actually. Oh, all right, all right, all right. Hold on. Let me get to my <laughs> bombshell. Don't be throwing up my, my sure. curveball here. So how about this? Women are naturally occurring gene splicers. Listen to this. When, when a woman is pregnant with twins, let's say fraternal twins, and one twin can actually absorb the other. Did you know that? Yes. I did not, but, but I don't pay attention to biology. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> biology is the best. What are you talking about? So, so there's actually a condition called tetragammatic chimerism. And essentially what it is is one fraternal twin absorbs the other fraternal twin. Okay, mm -hmm. so they incorporate their DNA, and because they're fraternal twins, the DNA is not identical. So people with this condition have two. Can depending on what is analyzed in their body, they will have two distinct DNA signatures. There's one really interesting example. There's a singer. Her name is Taylor M U H L Mull Mule. I don't want to mispronounce it. But she believes one half of her like chest is a darker color than the other, right down the middle. She's you know she she came out and talked about this a while ago. Very interesting. And it turns out it's pigmented. They thought it was a birthmark, but the different pigments, this different skin pigments, are because she is one of these tetragrammatic chimeras, absorbed her twin in the womb, and. She has two different DNA expressions, two different DNA structures in her body, and they express themselves differently on her skin. How crazy is that? That is amazing, Dan. Very cool. Yeah. It's a good thing her twin wasn't a fly. <laughs> yeah. It makes you wonder, you know, if people, yeah. if they're, if they're 
up to and, and capable of absorbing their twin even in the womb, what does the future look like for them? They sound like dangerous people. But for us, it's extremely <laughs> fascinating. Uh, that, that was my favorite part uh, of learning about this. I thought that was incredible. Yeah. Uh, if you want to discuss that more, I think you can. I think we're easy to get a hold of. If you want to talk to us on the show, you can find us, uh, the show, on Twitter, at FGGGBTPod, on Facebook, at FGGGBT. But you can talk to us individually. Let's say you don't want to talk to us as a group. You want to find out our individual thoughts on something. I know I like to do that from time to time. We are easy to get a hold of. Ben, how can people get in touch with you? You can talk, get to me on all the major social media networks at bseepser. How do you spell that, Ben? B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. That's amazing. Denon, how can people get in touch with you? I am at Denon Michael on Twitter and Instagram, so that's just my name reversed. Um, and then on Facebook, I'm at Prof Denon Michael. I am very similar. I am on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn. I'm on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. So this is pretty incredible stuff. Teleportation is something we've been trying to crack for a long time. Um, but as you can see, one mistake and you can turn into a fly. The stuff, the information we're giving you, uh, don't be careless with it. It's very powerful, dangerous stuff. You want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. If you like this show, you got to subscribe. You don't want to miss an episode. we got a lot of easy ways to do it. First of all, if you're already involved with the podcasting platform, we're on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find us there. If you're not, go to the website, G. BT.com. That's FGGGBT.com. Scroll to the bottom of the page. You will find links to, to subscribing to the show while you're at the website. You want to stick around? Obviously, you can find our social media links, but go to the pages for the episodes we're talking about. We got videos. We got all the articles we talked about. Great stuff. You can listen to the shows there. And of course, if you want a version on YouTube, we got that. Go to YouTube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. You can find all of our shows. And if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.